Hello everyone, welcome to Poetry Says. I am Alice and today's episode is going to look into the question of what rhythm is in poetry. This is courtesy of my friend Antonella who emailed me a little while ago and said, what's up with rhythm? Explain, I don't get it. And I thought, yeah, that's a good question. It's one of those things that I think I basically skipped over not having any formal training and kind of instinctively feel like I know when something has rhythm, but um, yeah, trying to explain it in words. Uh, you should see my desk. It's covered in papers and notes and open books and I'm still not really sure what I'm going to tell you about this, but uh, let's have a crack. Let's see what happens. So, beginning with, of course, the Princeton Encyclopedia of Poetry and Poetics. The usual job of this book is to hold up my laptop because it's freaking massive. Um, and this is on page 1066, Rhythm. A cadence, a contour, a figure of periodicity, any sequence of events or objects perceptible as a distinct pattern, capable of repetition and variation. Got all that? Yep, it sounds like a Gertrude Stein poem in and of itself. And that is uh, page one of, yeah, a page and a half's worth of explanation there. Uh, yeah, as I said, that book holds up my computer. <laughs> That's its main job. Um, but look, there's much, there is much more, there's much easier ways to explain this to you. Uh, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, Poetry for Dummies. There's a really good article on this actually about what rhythm is. And they put it nice and simply, they say, rhythm is the pattern of stresses in a line of verse. That's all it is. Just where do you put the stress? Where do you put the emphasis, basically? And it goes on to say, when you speak, you stress some syllables and leave others unstressed. When you string a lot of words together, you start seeing patterns. Rhythm is a natural thing. It's in everything you say and write, even if you don't intend for it to be. So before we start to get into all the traditional forms and the way that you talk about traditional forms of rhythm, I thought it might be more useful to just look at some examples of poems that have a definite rhythm and some that don't. Because if you're anything like me, you probably learn better just by hearing examples rather than me throwing a bunch of jargon at you. That's not going to get us very far. So yeah, the first book that I pulled out of my little library there is called Punch On, Punch Off. And it's by a poet called Jeff Goodfellow. He's an Australian poet. And this is an example of a poem that I think has a very strong rhythm. It's called The Violence of Work. I work in a factory, Monday to Friday. Punch on, punch off. I work a rotating roster, Monday to Friday. Punch on, punch off. I wear earmuffs and gloves, Monday to Friday. Punch on, punch off. I stamp on a press, Monday to Friday punch on, punch off. It kind of continues in that vein. And I guess um, what, what Jeff's doing there is he is kind of reflecting the 
repetition of the work week in the way that he's repeating the lines and in that kind of short sharp um, rhythm of each stanza ending with exactly the same thing just kind of that monotony is being reinforced there another example here is from my little poems of new york anthology it's one of my favorite anthologies that i've got and this one's called observation it's by dorothy parker this is also rhymed so it's a little bit easier to hear the rhythm coming through here it says if i don't drive around the park i'm pretty sure to make my mark if i'm in bed each night by 10 i may get back my looks again if i abstain from fun and such i'll probably amount to much but i shall stay the way i am because i do not give a damn the other thing about rhythm that's probably worth mentioning along with the fact that it gives a shape to a poem and gives you a constraint to work within when you're writing a poem is that it also makes poems a lot easier to remember. I was thinking about this because I was trying to remember, uh, see how far I could get into the poem Mending Wall by Robert Frost. And I used to be able to recite this most of the way through, um, which is probably quite annoying for people in my general vicinity, but uh, it was fun for me. And yeah, I can't do it anymore, but I'm gonna read it to you and see if you can pick up the rhythm in this one even though it doesn't have any rhyme or any repetition. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it, and spills the upper boulders in the sun, and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair, where they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean. No one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. So that particular form of rhythm, now to get into the terminology a little bit, is called blank verse. And what that means is you've got certain number of syllables with stresses in certain points, but it doesn't have to rhyme. And we'll get into what those syllables and what those stresses are in a minute. But before we do that, let's look at a poem that is in what's called free verse. So no set um, form, no set rhythm, just doing whatever it wants. And let's see if you can pick up rhythm in this one. Any excuse to read more Jane Kenyon. Um, this is from the sequence of hers called Having It Out With Melancholy. And this is section nine, it's called Wood Thrush. High on Nardil and June light, I wake at four, waiting greedily for the first note of the wood thrush. Easeful air presses through the screen with the wild complex song of the bird and I am overcome by ordinary contentment. What hurt me so terribly all my life until this moment? How I love the small, swiftly beating heart of the bird singing in the green maples, its bright, unequivocal eye. So look, I'm not gonna to presume to tell you what the rhythm is in that poem, but I will argue that there is rhythm in there. 
there's a certain way that each of those lines and each of those stanzas um, are playing off one another. And I think that you feel this most if you're writing a poem when you read it out loud to yourself and you find yourself stumbling or running out of breath a little bit or um, adding in a word where you didn't actually write it down. It could be that your brain is just compensating and making it fit into the natural rhythm that you just instinctively kind of know and, yeah, trying to correct the poem in that way. So, to get into the nitty-gritty, the terminology here, this is where it gets either really, really fun if you're a poetry nerd, or really annoying if you're not into this kind of academic way of looking at things. So feel free to just tune out now and go read some more Jane Kenyon. So, this, this uh, little article on Poetry for Dummies explains that there are traditional forms of verse, and they use established rhythmic patterns called meters. And these meters are made up of a certain number of feet, which are the individual units of rhythm. They're like the building blocks of meter, it says. There are five different kinds of feet. They can be combined in certain numbers to make up the various types of meters or rhythmic patterns. And all these feet have wonderful names. The first one's called an anapest. That's two unstressed followed by a stressed syllable. The example here is, but of course, but of course. The second one is a dactyl, a stressed syllable followed by two unstressed. And the example here is the word honestly, honestly. Then there's the spondy, which is two accented syllables side by side. And the example for this one was praise him. So neither of those words are really elevated above the other. They just kind of sit side by side. There's the trochee, which is a stressed syllable followed by an unstressed syllable, as in the word pizza. Probably not if you say it like that, as in the word pizza. That's better. Um, and then the last one, the more, most well-known one, is the I am. And so this is an unstressed syllable followed by a stressed syllable, as in the word collapse. So when you take those feet and you put them into these certain patterns, you get the meters. And coming back to the Robert Frost poem, that's actually in a meter called iambic pentameter. So it's using iams, those da-da-da-da-da-da, pentameter, five, lots of them, five iams per line, and just use that keep going. You don't have to rhyme it. And then that becomes what is called blank verse. So let's, let's read it. Let me read it to you again and see if you can pick up those little kind of units, the iams coming in those lots of five along each line. Let's start a little further down so it's a bit more interesting. We keep the wall between us as we go. To each the boulders that have fallen to each, and some are loaves, and some so nearly balls, we have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side. It comes to little more. 
So because it's not rhymed, it's a little bit harder to pick up where the I am's are beginning and ending. And also because this frost poem kind of twists and turns with it. And some of the lines are really strongly iambic and some of them are just, you know, a little bit fast and loose with it. Um, it might be a little bit tricky. I also found uh, this Luke Davies poem called Heisenberg saying goodbye to Mum at Lilyfield. And we talked about Luke Davies with Louise Carter in one of the very early episodes. And I didn't realize that he'd written a poem in blank verse, but um, yeah, it's really exciting to read this. The first stanza goes like this. See if you can pick it up. Accommodate the action in your life to rest the deep perspective of the real from cubic content realms of atmosphere at play beyond the bank and shoal of time. Not sure if he's saying cubic content or cubic content. Again, a little bit fast and loose with the IMs there, but you get the general idea. There's kind of this slow and steady rhythm. And if you want to see many, many examples of this, all you have to do is go and look at some of Shakespeare's sonnets, which are generally in iambic pentameter. So yeah, that's about where my knowledge of rhythm kind of runs out. Although I do love kind of looking at the various um, combinations that you can have of the feet and the forms they make up. Iambic trimeter, iambic dimeter, you can have trochaic forms, you can have dactylic forms, anapestic forms, and all this is going on. And there are many poets who know how to like wield this these forms and be incredibly impressive. Unfortunately, I'm not one of them. I'm just kind of, um, I pick it up when it's really obvious and yeah, kind of leave the more hardcore analysis to the more learned amongst us. But um, yeah, I think it's probably worth knowing and it's worth having some kind of language to talk about when a poem has rhythm that is really speaking to you. So yeah, Hopefully that was useful. Hopefully it gave you something to think about. And if there are other topics like this that you want me to have a look into, let me know. Um, I know that the Getting Into Poetry episode was a popular one, so I might do a few more kind of basics and uh, yeah, see how far I can get with my notes and my books and my gigantic Princeton Encyclopedia. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now.